Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zena Shea. I am a coach, a conduit, and a catalyst who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. So we are down to the end of October. And it is Arts and Humanities Month, and I wanted to give a final shout out to our sponsor for the month, who is the Arts Advocate. And they are all about connecting the arts with nonprofits and just trying to get people to tap into the arts, the power of the arts. And I want to thank them so much for being our sponsor for this podcast and for everything that we've done this month. And it is the end of Domestic Violence Awareness Month and um, Arts and Humanities Awareness Month um, and Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So, you know, we have had a lot of things going on this month. And I have two wonderful people with me that I met, I don't know how many years ago at the Shrine of the Black Madonna. It's been many, many years ago. We met in a class called uh, Conversations in African Culture and History with Baba Fana, who's passed on since then. And um, I was on this man, Mr. Ray's uh, Coach Hightower's yes, podcast, yes, yes. The Real Men yes. Talk, a while back. And um, then we were on a panel together. Amazing panel. Yes, called Black Love 101. Mm. And one of the topics that came up in that panel was about the kind of battle of the sexes that seems to be going on in social media, in the world, in society. And you made a comment about Uh how, Uh and I'm going to have you introduce who both of you are, but you made a comment about how you had really learned how to deal with conflict and resolve conflict. And you felt that really nobody taught that. Um, at least you had never been taught it and I right. had never been right. taught it. I've learned hit or miss throughout my 52 years of living about conflict resolution. And so um, I wanted to, you guys to introduce yourselves first off to tell the people who we, who, who you are. And then um, we're going to kind of talk about conflict resolution from a lot of um, angles, parenting in the workplace, in relationships, in friendships, in families, just all around. So, so tell the people your name. So I'm Coach Hightower with The Real Man Talk. Um, the Real Man Talk is a platform designed to bring people together in regards to finding that purpose and gift. So we use coaching, we use mentoring, we use accountability classes, as well as the podcast. And if you want to turn that into a business, I help you with business startup. But mainly we all about bringing families together and making people better. All right. And I am Kimberly Hightower, his beautiful counterpart. Yes, yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us. And, and I always love black couples and, 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 you know, who especially are doing different things in the community. Cause we're trying, we're trying. Know, <laughs> yeah, you know, you have your, your endeavors and I know that you vended at one of my events Yes, yes. and you, you had a business at the time. You still have, I still have the business. I am still doing custom clothing. I am still doing custom. I have now added custom bridal bouquets. Yes. So I do bridal bouquets now. Okay, awesome. So we got this power couple doing things in the community. Thank and, you, sis. And, Thank yes, you. And, and, you know, being a shining light of, of being able to combine work and family and love, which Ooh. a lot of people think you can't do that. Can you know, some people think, you know, when I wrote my book, Plenty of Guppies, um, one of the conflicts that I found as a single black woman was when I met men 
sometimes they would have this attitude of, oh, you're doing all this stuff as a single woman. Well, now that you've met me, all of that needs to go to the side. You just need to focus on our relationship. And, and my conflict resolution in that case was to say, uh, no, sir, I don't think we're the, we're the right match. I think you should go find what you want. And I'm going to stay right here as a single woman doing what I'm doing. You know, so sometimes I think conflict resolution is realizing that you're not compatible mm -hmm. and moving on. You know, you have different things you want. Um, I think other times when you've decided, hey, we are compatible then there's issues that arise and then you have to decide how to deal with those issues. So what was your first, like, when did you realize, or you either, whoever wants to answer it, that conflict resolution was something that you needed to learn about or needed to work on to have a successful relationship? Would you like to go? I'll let you go. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So for me, ooh. Conflict resolution was difficult because just like you, I was in a marriage previously. I Actually, I was in two marriages previously. And in both, we were married, but it was like we were completely separate. It mm -hmm. was like we lived completely separate lives. So when we came together, it was more so, how are you going to tell me what to do? Hmm. You're my husband, but how will you tell me what to do? It wasn't until we actually got together mm. that I had to say, you know what? You have to let him lead. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But in allowing him to lead, you do not have to give up who you are. Mm. You can still remain who you are. And it to, for me, it was finding that mate that would allow me to continue to be me that it, and I'm not when I say allow I mean that will not try to stop me from being me and being who I am and expressing the person that I am because that will make or break any relationship that is very true you and I have some similarities because I have had two marriages mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I said when I got divorced was, number one, I was never going to dilute myself for another person. I was never going to, and I still did it. I still did it twice after I got divorced. I did. I wrote about it in my book. I still watered myself down twice. Then I was like, I, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. It's such a habit. It's such a habit to start you know, minimizing the parts that he doesn't like or minimizing the parts that I think are going to cause problems, you know, even though that's very much me, even though it's very important to me, you know. Um, and then I had to say, I've got to stop. I've got to find that person that can accept me. And that's difficult. And I, I have yes. found that person. And I actually didn't believe it when I found that person because I'm like, it took me 50 some years to find yes. it. Are you sure? Yes. Like all of me? Like you could take the fact that I got 20 pro projects going on at one time and I got this high sex drive and I got two kids and I got, you could take all of this. It's hard and he's like, it. he's like, yeah, I got it. I got it. And I'm like, damn. Yeah. Okay. You got it. Okay. And then there is that point when as a woman, I can only speak for myself. I'm a very strong woman. Oh, yeah. I would even say people hate to hear this term. I would even say I'm alpha, mm. you know, but then there's that man that's alpha and he's mm. like, and you just, okay, yes, dad. <laughs> 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 and you just, you know, you just, there you go. Yeah. And, and even in my book, I said, there's men that are, 
yes, daddy. And there's men that are boy, please. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and so, um, there is that submission because I do believe, I believe I can't speak for every woman out there, but I believe that in any endeavor, whether it's a business, a family, a relationship, there's gotta be an ultimate decision maker. There's gotta be a head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that may not be politically correct, but I really don't care. I believe as strong as I am, I still feel like there's got to be somebody with the final say. If we're building something together and we're going to try to have this one life together, there's got to be this person that has the final say. And then you have to trust mm-hmm. that person's judgment and trust that they have your best interest at heart. And then when that's taken care of and you're like, okay, I trust him. He's sound. He's dependable. He's responsible. He's not, you know, frivolous and, 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 and bouncing all over the place. He knows what he's doing. I can sit back and say, okay, what do you think we should do? I'm put my input in, but I'm gonna let you have a decision. I'm, I'm gonna let you. Okay. Mm. And it's not easy mm. to do. Let me mm-hmm. just say, it's yeah. not easy to say that you're going to give that person that much power to, mm-hmm. yeah, that's difficult. But you know, there's a reward in it because mm-hmm. for me, I can get wound up. I can get in my head. Mm-hmm. I even posted a, a couple of years ago, I posted this woman and there's a storm swirling in her head. And it's wonderful when a man can come in and say, stop it. I got it. Just stop. I'm going to handle it. You just go on and do, go get your nails done. Go get your hair done. Go get your, go get your pedicure. Go to the movies. <laughs> I'm going to handle it. Stop worrying about it. I've got this. And you're like, Okay. He's got it because I'm not doing well with this. I'm I'm working my stuff into yes. a tether, yes. you know, and, and he's he's got it. You know, he told me one time he was like, my shoulders are much broader than yours. I can handle a whole lot more than you can. Would you just let me do it? And I was like, OK, you're right. So mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you talk now. So what, what's going through your mind as we're talking about how we have both as strong women who've been through two divorces realized that we had to get a certain Mm -hmm. type of man because any other man would not, it's like Jill Scott said, if you can tell me what to do, then you can tell me what to do. If you can't tell me what to do, then you can't tell me what to do. It's you got to have that. It's got to be that man who knows himself, knows what he can do. Ain't trying to prove nothing to nobody. You know, he's, he's, confident he's you know he's self-possessed and then there's something in myself as a woman that's like okay he got it you know so so what 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 are you thinking (laughs) as you're as you're hearing us talk about this aspect of conflict resolution just sometimes surrendering it's very interesting hearing both of the two dialogues but um one thing that stood out, what you just stated, is submission. Sometimes I think women have to know how and when to submit. Sometimes I think you may roll the dice and submit to the wrong person. And yes. because you submit to the wrong person, now this man afterwards is dealing with the consequences. So now you don't want to submit to him. So it becomes more of a trial and error thing. You got to be very careful who you submit to and know when to submit. Yes. And it goes back to, as you stated, um, having that strong man, having that man that knows what he wants. 
having that man that may have that vision or that future for you and your family. But if you don't have that vision or you don't have that support from you and you're pretty much trying to direct them, you're not going to get the man that you really desire. Cause that man go end up running back, probably, probably crawling into a shell. Depends on what type of male he is. Depends on his, um, self-esteem depends on how he's built up, but it goes back to submission, but making sure that you're submitting to the right person at the right time. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And, and I will also say from my own personal journey, um, I submitted to the wrong men in both my marriages. And in the second marriage, it ended up where he was like, I don't want it. You take it. I don't want all this responsibility. You handle it. Just, just tell me how much money you need. Tell me if something comes up with the kids, tell me something comes up with the house. I will handle that. But besides that, you got it. And I was like, this don't sound like a partnership to me. God dog it. It sounds like me being single, you know? I mean, I'm, I don't like this, but I guess I got, I'm going to have to deal with it. I'm not going to divorce him over it, you know? So I guess this is what I got, you know? Um, so was that not then, discussed beforehand? It was, but I think that one thing I think some people don't understand is that um, she and I have both been married before. We have an idea of what marriage is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people have this fairy tale Mm -hmm. idea. They do. Okay. Now, both my ex-husbands had never been in married homes. They grew up as single children of single mothers. So they didn't necessarily know what a husband did or how a marriage worked. Okay. Now everybody I knew was married. My grandparents were married 60 something years. My parents were married 40 something years. All my aunts and uncle been married. I don't even, I only saw one divorce in my entire life. That was in the eighth grade and she got remarried, stayed married. So I knew nothing but marriages. I knew how wives acted. I knew how I had seen husbands act. That was getting up and getting married. That was expected. That was like, that's what you do. You know, it's just like you get up and you brush your teeth in the morning, you wash right. your face, you get your clothes on. It's, it's what you do. At a certain age, you get married. <laughs> and then you do this. You cook, you clean, you know, you make your husband's lunch, you do this, you do that. It was not even a thought. So I, even though we had these discussions I really don't think that either of my ex-husbands really had any concept of what being a husband was. And I thought that they had more of a concept, even though they hadn't grown up with one. So here I am trying to expect certain things from them and they don't know what they're doing. Not at all. And, and then there's conflict. Because I have these expectations and they don't know what to do. And then they get mad at me and I'm getting mad at them. And it's like, we both like, you know, and then finally, like I said, my, my first husband was just irresponsible. My second husband was responsible, but he was overwhelmed. He felt, I think there was a sense of inadequacy. Okay. And he didn't know how to deal with that. So since he was like, well, you know how to do this, you do it. You handle it. You know how to do this, you know? Um, And I did. I knew how to do this. You know what I mean? I knew how to raise kids. I knew how to pay bills. I knew how to keep a house. I knew how to do that. So yeah, in a sense, and this is a really sad thing. You see this on social media. I've seen it several times. There is a group of women that get divorced 
or get into relationships and they have these men who don't know how to have this role and they get to the point where they're like, I can do this by myself. I don't need him. He's like another kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He adds to my burden. Mm -hmm. He doesn't help the burden because he doesn't know how to figure it out. He doesn't know how to challenge himself. When he gets out of his comfort zone, he gives up. Now, that's something I saw in my kids for a little while. You know, when they got out into the world and they got that first slap and they got knocked down and somebody fired them, somebody cursed them out. They got their first little brush with the law. I saw my kids kind of crumple up. I said, uh, 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 no, 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 no. I don't know who told you that life was going to be easy. Kind of like I felt like Langston Hughes. You know, son, life ain't been no crystal stair. <laughs> it's had boards in it and taxed and, you know. And I said, look, look, look. Life is going to hit you hard, but you can handle it. Brush yourself off. Get up. Don't be, you know, drinking and smoking and running with these people because you're trying to forget what just happened to you because you're trying to avoid the fact that you just lost a job or you just crashed your car or you just got a ticket or you just whatever. It happened. Deal with it. Doesn't make you less of a man. It doesn't make you less of a person. It's something that happens. You have to deal with it. And I think that some, how I think women, I don't think attach their identity to failure like men do. In my experience, maybe you can respond to that. Well, that plays a major factor when you have boys or young men who don't have their fathers in their lives. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I know we talked before the show, but I can speak from experience. My mother raised three boys, Um, no father watched her um, go through abusive relationships. And even the neighborhood that I grew up in, that's all you seen was pretty much single mothers. And you really didn't see no fathers. Those who did have fathers in the house, you can tell the difference in the upbringing. Mm. You can tell the difference in the males. Um, those who didn't have fathers such as ourselves, you can tell that we was out there searching. Mm. At the same time, we probably didn't have that respect for women mm. based off just the environment and what we witnessed. So we don't have that man in the house, man. It's major... Um, disparity when it comes to that raising that young boy as well as that young woman. Most of the women, <laughs> when you go, I'm mean, I go back and reflect on when I was dating at a young age, which started dating as early as 13. But that goes back to a whole nother issue with the father not being in the house, as well as how they sexualize things in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, even the women that we dated or messed with back then, when the father wasn't in the house, it was easy, I would say, to somewhat take advantage. Mm-hmm. If that father was in the house, you wasn't subjected to really go to that house and try to date that girl versus if a father wasn't there it was easy. Um, so it plays a major factor having that man in that house. Boys really need that man as well as girls need their fathers. So when you pretty much divide that household up, you pretty much open up for many exposures and many things that can happen. And it goes up to what you're talking about in regards to your sons, how they had that void. And even though you was telling them to get a job, they see you, mama, but once again, you got to see that man producing. If they don't see that man producing, pretty much they're watching mom, and mom is pretty much just mom. But having that man around, it was things that we wouldn't do if it was a man around. So it's, it's, it's very important to have that. got to have that father figure around. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I have a whole poem that he loves called <laughs> Fathers Are Not Disposable because the difference between when my sons had no father in the home, even though I feel like I was the best mother I knew how to be, 
The difference between them not having a father and them having a father was night and day. But even with my second husband coming in and being an amazing, loving, guiding, nurturing completely hands-on involved. Let, let me teach you how to, you know, change a tire. Let me teach you how to change the oil. Let me teach you how to cut the grass. I'm gonna teach you how to shave. I'm gonna teach you how to dye, tie, uh, tie. I'm gonna teach all this stuff, you know, all these things. I'm gonna teach you my values. He only could teach him so much because he only knew so much. Mm-hmm. All right. And there were deficiencies he had, but he did a great job of what he knew, passing on what he knew. And I, my sons are, are, very loving fathers, very involved fathers because of him. Because if they were only going on their biological father, <laughs> oh, well, my Jesus, you know, but, but, you know, but again, there was that void, you know, and I think um, when we're talking about the next generation, the mothers and the fathers, the married couples, there's a lot of making up to do when you have those voids. But even in a two-parent household, you know, I had a lot of voids because my parents had a very contentious marriage. The conflict resolution was not working. It was a lot of (laughs) silent treatment. It was a lot of, uh, you know, there's no sense of partnership. There's this, we're here. We said we were going to be married. We're going to stay married, but we can't stand each other. We're just doing this because this is the Christian thing to do, which I think is crazy. It's the Christian thing to do to hate each other every day. And that uh, was kind of, that kind of was indoctrinating to us coming up as well. That's the Christian thing to do to hate each other no every day. what conflict is happening in the household, we're going to stay together. He cheated, but we're going to stay together. She's not doing this, but we're going to stay together. We're going to work. That's how I grew up. My parents were together, but there were there was no con- type of conflict resolution. I mean, none. And it taught me what I wanted in a relationship, but it also taught me what I did not want and what I will not accept. Like there are things that in a relationship I will not accept. And I feel, if I see those signs, it's over. I don't mean any harm. And I'm going to communicate that to you, but it's over. I, I, I grew up watching it. I will not see it as an adult. I will not have it inside of my own relationship. I agree with you on that. You know, the one thing I saw my mother do that I said I would never do ever, ever in life. I saw her use her mouth to cut my father down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as a (laughs) child, seeing that there was something in me that, and I don't think that women always understand this, if you're doing this to the man who created half of me, then half of me, you think that about mm-hmm. subconsciously. Mm-hmm. So even though she wasn't saying those things to me, there was a part of me that was taking those things in and saying, I can only trust you so much because you lay down in the bed with this man every night and you saying that to him. You don't lay down in the bed with me every night. What the hell are you going to say to me? And when you grow up to be a woman, either you're going to do it or you're going to say, you know what? I will not do this to anyone and I will not have anyone do this to me. Yeah. And so that, you know, some people talk about physical violence and physical violence is, you know, we're talking about, I started talking about mm-hmm. this is domestic violence awareness mm-hmm. month, but 
there's also emotional abuse. And that's how physical violence sometimes starts. Mm -hmm. Not to say that my mother was ever physically violent to my dad. She wasn't. But the words that woman said, you know what I'm saying? I'm just... You know, so so imagine as a young man or a young boy, you're watching your mom cuss this man out, uh, degrade this man, and say these words. At the same time, as you said, you notice they're still together. As a young man, how you think that young boy is gonna start viewing women when he gets older? That's where the disrespect comes in. It based off some of the childhood um, abnormalities, as well as some of the norms. A lot of things we grew up with, it wasn't normal, but it looked normal. As mm-hmm. Kim stated, my wife stated. Some people stayed together and didn't even like each other. We was taught that. Yes. Now, it has some advantages and disadvantages to it. Right. But at the same time, we still bred a relationship. And later on, we adopt that relationship, taking it to our relationship, not knowing that wasn't right. right. That's not how you talk to people. Right. That's not how you treat your significant other that you really care for and love. Right. That's not how I disrespect my queen in front of my quick kids. Right, right. And we've right. seen, you know, growing up, we've seen a lot of physical abuse, as you stated. Physical yeah, and emotional true. abuse. That's true. So you got these young men growing up and young women growing up without no fathers, as well as watching dysfunctional relationships, taking it into their relationships. So, you know, seeing that growing up and then going into an abusive relationship myself, when I got married the second time, we had this long, long talk before we got married, before we even really started seriously dating. It was like, okay, what are you going to do if if you lose your job? How am I going to respond to that? What are you going to do if there, there's cheating? What are you going to do? How are we going to discipline the kids? I mean, we literally tried to talk everything out. We wanted everything on the table. It was one of the best things we did because we actually had a game plan for everything wow. we could have thought of before we even got married. So Good we job. actually went like almost nine years of our marriage and didn't even have any arguments because wow. we had actually – Talked out Say everything beforehand. Years? Yeah. Wow. Nine years? Yeah. No conflict. Wow. <laughs> Please tell me what Lucky Charles was all eating. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we had really talked everything out. So we were actually, we were better friends than we were husband and wife. Um, because we kept that friendship, that respect, that partnership aspect. When the rest, when the whole romantic part, the sexual part, because he became impotent two years in our marriage and decided mm. he wasn't treating it. Mm. that was our conflict <laughs> I ain't treating it I ain't gonna tell a doctor that my thing don't work I ain't gonna I'm, Man, there I'm are not solutions gonna do that there. and I'm like well uh, we're supposed to have this you know this part of our relationship we don't wow. have and he's like well if you find something I'll try but I ain't going to the doctor for that you know, um, so that took a toll on our relationship to where we ended up being like co-workers living in the same house we didn't even touch kiss nothing but I stayed because that was my son's father mm-hmm. and he had been so influential to them and so close to them. I was like, until they turn 18, this man going to be up under this roof. We're going to raise each other. I brought him in the world. Their first father didn't turn out so well, but this man wants to raise them. He loves them. These are his boys. Nobody could. I mean, they, people thought those were his biological children. There was no telling them, you know, that these were not his biological children. So I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to just, you know, separate this. You know, when they turn 18, I've gotten them to manhood. Then it's my turn to go and find happiness, you know. And So and, how old was he when he came into the kid's life? 
Uh, they were seven uh-huh. when he came in, and okay. he was in their life till they were eighteen. We got divorced once they graduated high school at eighteen. Eighteen seemed to be the magic number. Yeah, mm. and that's what a lot of a lot of couples do stay together till the kids right graduate right. high school. Exactly. They're they're waiting for that that. Okay, they're getting ready to go off to college or the military or the workforce. Our marriage is done. We did our job as parents. But you know. but why? Well, I ask that because the kids know you're not together. They know emotionally y'all pretty true. much detached. So true. why drag it out if you know you go kill it off at 18? Well, for me, I can only speak for me. You know, when my sons entered high school, I even put this in the book. When my sons entered high school, you know, they were in every sport. Every extracurricular, I was just a chauffeur. I mean, I guarantee it was just crazy. So one day after some, I think it was a football game, I took him to Black IP, and we sat down, getting ready to order the food. And my son says, "You know, Mom, you know, when we graduate high school, we won't be surprised if you get divorced because you and Dad, we don't, you don't even talk <laughs> except right. to say, right. except to talk about us, the house, and the bills. That's the only time you guys even talk to each other. You don't even talk to each other." You know, at all about anything else. There's those three things. And and he was like, you guys have no relationship at all. You I mean, you get along like you are so peaceful and calm. You talk to each other, you're friends, but you have no role, no relationship. And I was like, you're right. And I came home and I came into my bedroom and I said, this is what our kids told me today. Mm. And they're right. And I said to him, I said, look, I said, uh, I'm going to ask you for two things. Take me out once a month and go to the doctor. And I said, and you may not like this, but you got an ultimatum. If you haven't done it by the time they graduate high school, then after the week after they graduate high school, I'm filing for divorce. I was like, you got four years. And he didn't do it. And he told me, he said, you are too family oriented to divorce me. Mm. I said, oh, I don't think so. But... (laughs) You know, if you want to believe that, I wouldn't suggest you do. Mm. I wouldn't suggest you do. But it, it, the fact that that was his response, it was like, that's your response? But that's more common than you think, though, where you've been together so long and the same situations as yours and the children leave and you're still living in a household together, barely even talking to one another, but you're still together. Due to those children that are now grown and gone and living their lives. Well, that was not going to be me. That was not going to be me. So that was why for in my case, Mm -hmm. and he went, (laughs) when the kids graduated, you know, I had, I said, Hey, you know, I need to talk to you. And he was like, Oh, have you filed yet? And I was like, I actually wasn't even going to talk to you about that. I don't even remember what I was going to talk to him about. I was so pissed. I just stopped talking. I just walked out the room. Um, Six weeks after my kids graduated is uh, when I actually filed and I actually opened up a dating app, you know, the same day that I filed. And I actually didn't go on any dates till after a long time had passed, but I was waiting for the divorce to be final. But, but yeah, that was my progression. But, you know, going back to conflict resolution, there has to meet to me to be a willingness on both parts because I was trying to resolve the conflict and I had been trying to resolve this conflict of this impotence, but he was not budging. He did not budge until six weeks. I mean, he had four years now. Actually he had been mm-hmm. impotent at that time for five years already. 
And I had begged him, pleaded, cried, all this stuff. Didn't make any difference. But he had four years of that ultimatum to make a decision, to do something, even just those two things. And he waited until they graduated and it was six weeks later. And when I actually opened up a dating app and I filed, that's when he decided to go to the doctor. And I was like, it's too late. Yeah. Now, was that y'all main issue while y'all was getting divorced? That was a, the main issue was to me, you vowed to love, honor, obey. Well, I'm sorry, love, honor, protect. And here, this is something that has turned us from this loving, connected couple where we have the sex life to a couple that doesn't even touch each other. Your ego is preventing you from even going to the doctor. Your ego is so important. You are that selfish. I understand it's difficult, but every single day we do things that are difficult. We do things that move us out of our comfort zone. I have to do it. I had to do it when you told me, take this. I don't want to handle it. I had to do it. I didn't want to be that person, but you can't swallow your pride to go to the doctor in nine years. So the, the issue was really you didn't join this marriage to be a partner with me. You joined it to do what was convenient for you. Hmm. That's how I saw it. Hmm. And if you want to choose yourself and you don't care how difficult it is for me, I'm sitting here in a sexless marriage. I literally gave him my keys one day and said, I am so horny. If I have them and I leave this house, I will find somebody to have sex with me. It won't be difficult. You know how many times women get hit on going through the grocery store? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It won't be difficult. Mm -hmm. I said, take them because today I'm not in my right mind. Today I will feel no loyalty to you. Today I will not care. Take my keys. Now, if you see your wife struggling that much, she says, take her keys and you still don't go to the doctor. No, you don't love me. That was my thing. You don't love me. You love yourself and your ego and this image you have of yourself as this man who doesn't have a problem more than you love me. So, yeah, that was a big issue. That's interesting. So let me ask you, was he a good provider? We, I made more than him. I was the breadwinner, but yes, but did, he, he, was he, did he provide? Yes, he did, did he provide. provide. Okay. Did he mm -hmm. provide security for you and the family? Yes. Okay. Uh, did he treat you with dignity and respect? To a certain degree, because I think that it was kind of degrading to beg your husband to go to the doctor and feel like you're not important right. enough for him to do that. Okay. So that felt very degrading to me. Okay. But if we took sex out the picture, everything was perfect. It wouldn't have been a divorce, possibly. I, well, it's difficult to say that because by the end of the marriage, he didn't touch me. He didn't take me on dates. He told me that, why would I come up and hug you and kiss you? Because all that's going to do is make you want more. So it wasn't just sex. There was no, and when I got divorced in eight months, a man had not touched me. The man living in my house that I stayed in the room with, that I slept in the bed with, had not touched me, kissed me, nothing, not even a hug. So no, it was bigger than sex. Mm -hmm. Could you go eight months without being touched by your wife at all? Could you do that without resenting her, without feeling some kind of anger, animosity? Could you do that? 
That's a question. It's that's bigger than I'm a piece of hey, hey, hey. That's a question. <laughs> I'm on, I feel no. like I'm on a hot seat on that one. Uh. So it was bigger than sex. Exactly. It was bigger than sex. Uh. It, it, was, it was intimacy. Our intimacy was gone. We went from being husband and wife, lovers, to coworkers and friends. So you, he took away the whole husband aspect, romance, intimacy, touching, kissing, all that was gone. It wasn't just penetration. Mm-hmm. I got you. Yeah. So that, 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 that emotional void. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm going to have that, I can have that at work. I could have a coworker be more affectionate to me than my husband was. Yeah. Yeah. And I see it from both sides because from a man's standpoint, that's very um, self-defeating, somewhat degrading. Uh, It's almost like uh, when a woman can't have kids, uh, when a man can't perform no more, that that really does hit the ego. So I can see it from both standpoints, from your standpoint, not even getting that emotional, um, I guess touch or just just emotions from him, the affection, as well as him wanting to probably give you affection, but can't give you an affection and probably just feel less of a man because he can't perform. Mm. So it's from two different standpoints. But then there's also the issue of something's wrong and you aren't even curious enough or responsible enough. If you're going to be a provider and you know something is making you impotent, it's got to be a medical issue. Now, it turned out to be diabetes, mm. and it also turned out to kill him. Mm. So he is now gone. Oh, my God. He, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Wow. So he died three years ago. Mm. Now, five years after we got divorced, he was dead from the thing that he didn't even want to research for nine years. Wow. And that was one of the things that I told him. You are playing with your life because you don't know what's wrong. You know you have high blood pressure. You change your high blood pressure medication, which he actually hid from me for two years because he didn't tell me when we started dating. He was on the medication. I didn't find out till the erectile dysfunction came and he said, let me change my high blood pressure medication. And he changed it three times, didn't fix it. I said, you know there's an issue. Is something affecting your blood flow? It's not high blood pressure. And I even mentioned, I was like, statistics say it could be diabetes. It could be, I think I rambled off three or four things from just Googling stuff. I was like, all of that stuff can kill you. So you mean to tell me your pride is so important to you that you don't want to know about something that could kill you? Mm. And I said, I don't plan on being 40 something years old and wheeling you around in a wheelchair because you wouldn't go to the doctor. I don't plan on having a husband that dies in his forties because you wouldn't go to the doctor. I said, I don't plan on being that. I said, that may sound horrible to you, but that's my stance because you can figure out what this is and treat it. And I will be there with you every step of the way. I will pay for it. I will make the appointments. I will do whatever it takes. I ain't going, I ain't going to do that. So mm. conflict resolution, <laughs> you got somebody trying to, trying to help you solve a problem, but you don't want to do anything. Right, right. So, so let's talk so about for do? a minute, male stubbornness. Yes. Woo. Definitely Woo. when it comes to health. 
definitely when it comes to health. And I can say that because I speak to a lot of men. And in some of our discussions, we talk about health and wellness. And it actually surprises me just how, I would say, lack of knowledge and ignorance sometimes when it comes to just the aspect of health. And as you just stated, you've seen some of the signs and symptoms. High blood pressure is one of the things that cause erectile dysfunction as well as diabetes. And um, a lot of things that most men experience, I would say, in our community, they're preventable. But sometimes if we don't go to that doctor and take care of ourselves and as well as being consistent, we run into them issues. As they stated, prostate cancer and uh, colon cancer, two of the biggest cancers that can be caught early. If it's caught early, it can pretty much be stopped. But it catches us, us at the end because we wait too long. So one of the things about the Real Man Talk, we do talk a lot about health and wellness, man. Men, get to the doctor. Take care of yourself. Get your colonoscopy. Get your um, annual physical. Um, there's so many things that can go wrong, man. And you can just look at the numbers and once you get it treated, man, things can start working, but we wait too long. And for, you know, we got three or four different issues and now the doctor is trying to fix three or four different issues and it's chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what did you guys learn on your, cause you mentioned that you learned about some things about conflict resolution. <laughs> what, what have you learned that's kind of helped you to solve issues or, or to handle things differently than maybe you did in the past? So for me, um, my wife and I, we always, at least once a year. Um, sometimes twice a year, we mm-hmm. do something in regards to just enriching our relationship as well as our marriage. And um, one thing I discovered since I've been married to my queen, um, the biggest issue I had, didn't realize it about uh, more than a year and a half ago, I was always making assumptions based off past experiences. And um, didn't realize it until, you know, went through therapy and, uh, and they started asking certain questions. I'm like, yeah, I do that. And um tend to find out a lot of us make a lot of assumptions and because of assumptions, man, it causes major communications issues. Mm. And it goes back to once again with past experiences, past relationships and past trauma. That is very true. And, you know, speaking on making assumptions, um, I have had an issue with that, but I've also had an issue with, you know, in my, in my current relationship, one of the biggest issues that we had was he scared me. Now Mm. he didn't scare me because he was violent. He scared me because he was different. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I I don't understand why you think the way you think, like you are not like any man I've ever known. Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. You don't make any sense to me. And, and then I had to like, I had to, I had no framework for dealing with him. Right. I literally had to ask him all kind of questions because I didn't understand anything. Nothing he did made sense to me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is just not, I don't. And because of that, because for me, I'm a Virgo. Okay. Yeah. I'm in my head. <laughs> Things got to make sense. Like if you don't make sense, I'm thinking that you're lying. I'm thinking mm-hmm. that you're sneaky. I'm thinking I'm thinking mm-hmm. all of these negatives because you just, that don't make no sense. Mm-hmm. What you talking about? But then when he sits and explains it to me, I'm like, what? Okay, say that again. Hold on, just, just mm-hmm. go slowly this time. <laughs> and I know I'm not stupid, but I know I'm brilliant, but 
say that again slowly this time. And then finally I start getting this framework for this is how he operates. This is what makes sense to him because what would happen is he would do something. My mind would say, this is why, because what he just did didn't make any sense. He had to be doing it for this reason. And it was for this reason over here, what I would never have considered. And also <laughs> some of what he did would trigger me mm-hmm. because I mentioned to you that I grew up with parents that didn't like each other with parents that, um, they played these kind of power games and stuff like that. Um, I didn't grow up feeling wanted and loved and accepted. And so here's this man saying, I love you. I accept you. I want to be with you. And he's doing these things I don't get. And then he's, his behavior triggers me. It's like, and I'm not understanding why I'm getting so emotional. Cause I'm just so chill. Hmm. I'm so chill. I don't get mad about nothing, but this man is just <laughs> driving me nuts. <laughs> Cause nothing he does makes sense. And I'm like, okay, you make me emotional. And then what I assume is because I'm super emotional, because he's getting under my skin, because I don't understand him, this has got to be all wrong. There's nothing good about this relationship. There's nothing positive. I know this man says he loves me. I know he says he'll do anything for me, but it can't be right. This cannot be right. This cannot be good. This has got to be bad because all of these feelings. And then what happened was he actually told me things that made me feel secure. Look, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. You don't have to worry about this. Oh, I don't have to worry about that. Okay. Okay. This is what I'm going to do. I will not do this. Mm-hmm okay, I will do this and I will not do this. And it was like, here's my behavior code. Here's what I don't do. I don't believe in this. I will not do this. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, these are all the things I'm worried about. He realizes these are all the things I'm worried about. He realizes why I'm worried about them. And he's telling me that he knows these are triggers for me and he's not going to do them. And now I'm like, oh, I can relax. Okay. You don't make sense to me still, but, but I'm still, I'm still good. I'm good. Cause you ain't going to do that. As long as you don't do that, I, I, whatever you do, you know, Eat the ice cream with the gummy bears in it. Okay, I don't get it, but fine. Go with it. Go with it. You got it. You got all of that. You can do whatever you would do. Do the strangest things in the world as long as you don't do this. So when we had that conversation and he took away all the triggers that I had and said, look, I know all of your triggers. I'm going to lay them all out for you. I ain't going to do none of this. It was like, okay, thank you so much. Cause now I can actually deal with you because when you don't make any sense to me, then I'm expecting you to do all the things that drive me nuts, you know? So how, how did that conversation go? How did y'all get to that? Do you have that conversation? Uh, well, actually the conversation started with this book because okay. he mm. read it mm-hmm. and he said, I understand you. Mm. Mm. I know everything that you said in the last seven years that happened to you. I see this pattern, this pattern, this pattern, this pattern. I see how you think. I see how you 
you know, how you react. I understand how to deal with you. Hmm. And I, I realized he was like, I realized I really, really screwed up when we first got together, when we first tried to date, because I did all of this stuff and this was all the stuff that triggered you and it made you crazy. And now that I know why it made you crazy and why you reacted the way you did and why it made you feel the way you felt, I know that I can't do any of that because mm -hmm. I know exactly, I have, I have learned in being the man, it's my responsibility to set the tone of this relationship. And it's my responsibility to provide a safe space for you. And now that I know that these are all the things that are going to make you feel unsafe, I can't do that if I want to be with you. Mm -hmm. So if I'm choosing to be with you, I can't do any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. This is off limits to me. So now that I'm choosing to be with you, I already know. One, two, three, four, five, I can't do it. And I'm letting you know I understand I can't do it. Shout out so. to the brother. Shout out to the brother that read the book. <laughs> Shout out to the brother that took the stance. Good job, man. So that's how we got to that conversation. I never in a million, if you would have if you would have told me that that conversation would have happened, I would have said, no, it won't. Number one, I didn't think he would have read the book because it's a big, thick book. And number two, I thought the book would piss him off. Big, thick book? What, what, what this, they got doing but yeah. they, hold on, hold on, hold on. You, you, you hear this? You know, sometimes you guys just don't want to read. Hold on, but, but let me. A lot, let me of, just, lot of men do read. Let me. No, a lot of men do read. A lot of men do read. He actually read the book in two days. Wow. wow. And what? That, what did that say? Wow. What did that tell you? That told me a lot. Okay then. Okay then. <laughs> Man read that book in two days. Yes. In two days, Just he read it in two days. He attempted to read the book. Yes. <laughs> he read it in two days. And then he was like, I saw a lot of things. And, and that it was, it was a process. It was a process of several conversations. You know, I kind of summed that up in one, but it was more like really three conversations. I read the book. I didn't like this. You said this and I didn't <laughs> like that. And then once we got past that, it was, I read the book and this is what I noticed. And then it was, I read the book and this is what I noticed and this is what I'm not going to do. Mm. So it was, it wasn't like all at once and, but it was, it was beautiful. And, and I'm going to say this conflict resolution. So we both had to put on our humility and say, okay, we both did some things wrong. We both made some assumptions. We both did some things that were hurtful. We both said some things. Here I take accountability for mine. There you go. Oh, man. <laughs> and then he said, okay, I take accountability for mine. Mm -hmm. And now I'm not going to do the stuff that hurts you. And he says, I'm not going to do the stuff that hurts you conflict resolution and then you gotta you gotta follow through well i'm yes, gonna tell you, you know, something what so you just yes. stated is one of the biggest issue is people don't want to take accountability mm -hmm. and if you can't even acknowledge and take accountability we can't even move forward you can't even deal with the problem because you don't even acknowledge it and that's one of the, the biggest things i hear men talk about is just accountability no one wants to no one wants to take accountability and because of that that stops the whole communication process that stopped the <laughs> flow of the emotions and and sometimes we just have to just be honest with ourselves, man. If we messed up, we messed up. Take accountability for it, men and women. 
if we can't, we can't move along. And that's the biggest issue I hear amongst when my coaching sessions, if we're talking about relationships is mm. accountability. Gotcha. That and effective listening. Mm. You have to effectively listen to your partner because your partner will tell you what the issues are. You just have to be open enough to listen. And a lot of people aren't open enough to hear what the other person is saying so out of fear. So true. I will also say this. You cannot be defensive because yes. Mm. Yes. when they come to you mm. with the issue, mm. it can't be, well, you did. Right. No, it's got to right. be just Mm-hmm. listen listen take it in and okay you know i see the issue and and i thank you for bringing that to me mm-hmm. and this is what i plan on doing about it and then if you got to deal with you did deal with you did another time because right now they came to you this is their time this is their space you know what i mean deal with that issue because i think a lot of times there's deflection mm-hmm. and it, it becomes a tit right, for tat. Right. It, it it starts to escalate. Right. There's arg- all this arguing rather than let's solve the one issue that was brought to the table. And if there's another issue, let's, let's deal with that. Once we solve Hold the up. issue, say that again, let's solve the <laughs> issue that was brought to the table. And if there's another issue, let's deal with are that. You, another are you time. In this, brother? Are you in this? <laughs> Uh, th- yeah. Thank you for saying that, sister, because that, that's another thing, man, when it comes to men. Men, we, we consider ourselves as problem solvers and fixers, man, and we want to try to fix things. But usually when it comes to our relationships, if we run into three and four different conversations, different issues, we tend to just reverse and back up. Like, okay, I thought we was talking about this. Where did all this other shit come from? Mm-hmm. We on this subject. We on that subject. How do we get here? And it also goes back to what you just stated. You have to be very humble and sometimes and you just got to just bite your tongue when that person is mm-hmm. coming to you and telling you because it takes a lot for a person to come to you to tell you these are some of the things I'm dealing with. I want you to listen to me and you start going off at the, the east and the west, man, and coming at them. That stops the whole communication process. And that also kills that vulnerability because that person mm-hmm. is now not going to be vulnerable to come to you like that. Right. So sometimes right. we have to just bite our tongue and say, I'm going to shut the fuck up. I'm going to listen to them, see what they got to say. Let's see if we can work through this problem. And that's a powerful thing, too, because one thing that I've learned is women, and, and I should know this better than anybody because I just talked about my mama. Now, I've <laughs> never cut a man down knowingly with my mouth, but you can say things that you don't even think are that bad Mm. but a man can be vulnerable Mm -hmm. in that area and it can hurt him Mm -hmm. and then later you like why did he all shut down he stopped talking Mm -hmm. to me like what 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 happened and then later when he feels safe he was like you know i started opening up to you when you said this Mm -hmm. and you'd be like oh shit oh oh man Mm -hmm. i didn't even realize that that would bother him I ain't going to never say that again, you know? And and so sometimes you have to, again, as you were saying, when somebody comes to you, you know, they're being vulnerable, just let them talk and and be encouraging um, and realize that anything you say at that moment, when they're being vulnerable, if it's not encouraging, even if you think it's not that bad, it could be bad, Mm -hmm. you know? So I've learned that, that sometimes, especially, you know, one of the things that I hated hearing and it just kind of hurt my heart a little bit 
was when a guy said to me, you were the first woman I let in. Wow. You were the first woman wow. that I trusted. And then when I opened up to you, wow. you minimized what I said. And then you expected me to stay open with you. Right. Mm. And right. I was right. like, right. and I was trying to think back, what in the world is he talking about? When did I? Mm. And then he was like, you said this. And I was like, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, put yourself in issues, put yourself in issues because I'm, I'm not there even, yeah. Cause I'm like, I'm not, as a woman, we're so used to just talking. Mm-hmm. We're not used to being in a sense necessarily feeling like this is so vulnerable. I'm like, put yourself in issues, put yourself in issues. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. This first time you're doing this. And then somebody says, it's the first time you're doing this. And then I'm like, okay, that wasn't cool. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. I, I you know. Cause that's where you have to be adult enough to check yourself. Yeah. You have to be able to check yourself and eat that shit. Cause sometimes you mm-hmm. have to. Mm-hmm. And just to realize, oof, I didn't, I didn't even intend it to be hurtful. I didn't even intend to minimize. I didn't even, was nowhere on my agenda at, and I didn't even know what I was saying or doing was going to have that effect, but I did. I'm so, so I will never do that again. And, and I love the fact that you stated Zen. Um, I had to put myself in his shoes. I had to put myself in his shoes. I stress that sometimes you have to put yourself in other people's shoes and just try to see how mm-hmm. they even seeing what they're seeing. And sometimes I don't think we do that. We just see it from our standpoint of view. I don't understand what you're talking about, but when you understand a person's background and how they see things, you're like, okay, now I understand why. Like you stated about the guy that, uh, in regards to reading your book. Once he read your book, he had a better understanding who you are and who you are. And I think it's very important, man. Sometimes just take, get out your way and just look at, the, look at it from that person's standpoint and find out why they see it from that standpoint. And when it comes to vulnerability, men, <laughs> let me put, put this out to men. At, mainly, let me start with the ladies. Sometimes we don't know when y'all try to be vulnerable. You know, y'all love to talk and y'all talk, and sometimes it may be a vulnerable situation that you really need our attention. And sometimes we don't know if y'all really been vulnerable or just general conversations. So sometimes let that man know, hey, I, I got something serious I want to talk to you about. Just so he won't accidentally dismiss what you're talking about, not that he's trying to, but he may not realize this is a really serious moment for you. As well as for men. Um, sometimes you got to let that woman know, hey, I got a serious conversation. I really want to talk to you about something and I really need your, you know, your attention. If not, it'd just be a general conversation. Like you stated, you probably said something not mean to minimize his emotions or his position, and that would kill the whole conversation. And and one thing I've learned to do is say, you just told me something, and I'm not exactly sure why you told me that. Can you can you tell me why you, you did that? Because I'm 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 a little confused. And then you know, he would say something like, well, I really wanted you to understand why I did that. Or I want, why I felt that way or why I reacted that way. And I'm like, oh, oh, that was why you, oh, that, oh, I, oh, thank you. Because sometimes we don't, I am a great writer, but when I get emotional, my sister and I have talked about this. I am logical. I was raised by my dad. I had my mom in the house too, but my dad was very much hands on. So it was like, you know, you ain't going to cry. You're not going to be no little, you know, prissy little girl. You're going to be, be logical girl. Get out your motions, you know, just stop. And so, um, being emotional for me is very uncomfortable territory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when I start to get emotional, I'm like, I tell him, I was like, look, 
I'm feeling emotional. I'm going to try to explain, but can you please work with me here? Cause I'm not used to putting my emotion. And I know it's weird for a woman to say this, but I'm not used to putting my emotions into words. I'm used to, I'm feeling emotional. I don't want to deal with this. Mm -hmm. Let me go do something else. Mm -hmm. Let me go get busy. Go do some work. Let me go work out. (laughs) You know, let's, let's go watch TV. I I will run from my emotions. And I told him, I was like, okay, me running from my emotions has caused nothing but problems in this particular relationship. I'm not going to run from them. I'm going to talk about them. This is new for me. So here we go. Okay. I think I'm feeling this. No, I think it's more like this. No, it's actually this. This is what I'm feeling. And then he's like, okay, 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 okay. I got you. And and he's been very patient with me as I'm trying to sort through all of this because I'm not used to being all emotional. I'm used to being very, I, I was with men who were very, who were not as strong as he is. And so I had to be much more in my masculine mm-hmm. mode. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing a whole bunch of feeling. Mm-hmm. I was just getting shit done because mm-hmm. shit needed to get done. Mm-hmm. So now it's like I'm in this very feminine mode with him and I'm not used to this. So it's like, okay, you got to be patient with me. You got to work with me. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going I'm to, and he's like, I got you. You good. I got you, you know, and, and, and it's good. It's really good because I'm learning a whole new side of myself because I am very feminine. And there was a lot of nurturing in me that I did when I was a mother and a wife, but talking was not one of them. That was not a thing. Putting my emotions into words, that was not my thing. So that is new for me. So again, I think that sometimes people have to be willing to step out of their comfort zone when it comes to conflict resolution. Definitely. That's how I was in this relationship. It was very much so that it was mm. fight or flight i was flight i was i was flight but in the beginning of this relationship i was very much so flight it wasn't until we started going to like couples retreats and actually sitting down and holding the conversations where i said hmm that's you you need to stop doing that i had to hold myself accountable and actually live in my shit Honestly, I didn't want to, but I, if I wanted a successful, healthy relationship, I had to live in it. And I think that that's the point. When you decide what you want and you say, okay, I love this person or I want a healthy relationship with this person. So I got to do what it takes. Mm-hmm. And it takes humility. Mm-hmm. It takes communication. It takes accountability. Mm-hmm. It takes me stepping out of my comfort zone. It takes, you know, vulnerability it takes all of this stuff but at the end what you have is the closeness Mm -hmm. you have the understanding you have the respect you have the 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 working together the partnership so Mm -hmm. it's worth it so many benefits Mm -hmm. it's worth it yeah it's worth Mm -hmm. it and it's so much better than what we grew up seeing yes the silent treatment and the hating each other and all the resentment that they have you know but we didn't see i didn't see people go through all these steps and and get to this place so now at 52 i'm learning how to do this mm-hmm. you know and and hey, sister, you're it's not a beautiful only thing you're not the only one um, you know? i talked to so many people including myself man i feel like at 45 i'm like man why am i learning all this stuff at such a 
later age. Why come I didn't get this in my 20s or in my 30s? Why am I getting it at 45? But we're not the only one. I was talking to a pastor, man. He was telling me I'm 52 years old, man. And I felt like the last 20 years of my life, I've just been wasting. And mm. even though I've been productive, I ain't been productive enough. Um, so I would tell you, sister, it's not just you. A lot of us is um, feeling that way. But at the same time, a lot of those tools wasn't presented to us. So now that we're getting these tools and we're now utilizing these tools, I think is a good thing because just watching my wife grow and we got four kids. Now the kids come to her for relationship advice. So just watching her guiding them and nurturing them, it's amazing because now they're getting some of them tools, once again, that we didn't get early in life. Yeah, We talking about conflict resolution in our mid-40s and early 50s which says a whole lot about the household. The right. household has been dysfunctioning and pretty much disintegrated for a long time, and we have to fix it. Right. And doing, doing your amazing podcast is one of the things that's going to help mm -hmm. fix them issues that's going on. I appreciate that. Well, I wanted you to tell people where they can find you and find your products and your products, what you have, and we're going to kind of wrap up. Um, okay. So Coach Hightower, you can go to CoachHightower.com. Um, we have several services and products on there. Um, one thing I'm promoting right now is my mobile notary course to those who's looking for a side hustle or looking for a change of income. Even if you're a notary or signing agent, I have two contracts that I'm showing you how to document as well as I show you how to get your license, how to market and promote yourself and how I've been making, making between, well, let me not go into the money part, but Take the course. The course is very beneficial as well as my man. I got a um, accountability group that we're starting. I want to say next week It's on the website. Just go to coachitower.com and it has all the information on there. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. I think we had a great conversation yes. and, yes. and tell the people where they can find you. I can and be found at KimberlyHightower.com. You can find me on Instagram as well at Kim, as Kimberly Hightower. You can also find our products on Houston CBD because yes. we also have a yes. health and wellness company where we sell CBD products, elderberry syrup. We sell botanical oil that can only be found in Honduras. Thus far, we were the only people that I've seen that has 100% pure vitamin oil. And it works great for eczema. It works great for hair growth, thickening the hair. So, yeah, that's where I can be found. Thanks for having me. Thank you for that. I forgot all about that. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and I am Zenashe. It's Z-E-N-A-S-E. -E. I'm actually repping a, a shirt that I got on my last podcast yes. that, that says, uh, I may walk in solo, but I got a whole army with me. And I got this from uh, Joy Soul, who's a herbalist and a recording artist. Mm. And she also has beautiful t-shirts. This is actually one of the lyrics in her song. She has affirmation music where she's actually got rap and singing with affirmations and is very powerful. And this is one of the affirmations in her song. And I have books as we've been talking about my book, Plenty of Guppies, which it's been, oh gosh, 260 something days on the Amazon bestsellers list of nice. Native American poetry. I have the guided journals, Energize Your Life. I'm actually going to be coming out with a planner by the end of this year. Nice. So if you're going to buy a planner, don't buy it yet. Because <laughs> I'm going to have one that's going to be really for us. Oh, nice. People who are wanting to write down their dreams, their affirmations, not just an agenda. It's going to have places to really kind of think about your best life and mm -hmm. those wild herring thoughts. When you wake up first thing in the morning, it's going to have a space for you to write down those subconscious ideas that you get. So it's going to have a lot of things that I think, you know, people talk about, 
but then they don't follow through on, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's going to have a lot of spaces for that kind of stuff. And I've got all kinds of stuff in my store. I've got roll on essential oils, magnetic oh, yes. bookmarks, affirmation cards. I have affirmation change. You can hold up yours. So this is a stainless steel pendant Ooh. on a chain and the oils are essential oils. So I've got a whole bunch of stuff in my store. So Ooh, as you nice. get ready for Christmas, you want to check out laughsandlyrics.com slash shop. It's also on my link tree there. HTTPS link tree slash Zinashe. So you can actually find those things on, you know, all those things. I'm also going to have two events coming up at the Shrine of the Black Madonna, November 5th. We doing Indie Authors Day. So there'll be myself and at least three other authors there with their books. There's going to be a whole slew of vendors in the front room. So in room two, we'll have the author event. We'll have interviews, book signings, raffles, you know, all kind of giveaways. Authors will be reading from their books. I'll be reading from my book. Um, so it'll be a great time. And also on November 13th at the Shrine of the Black Madonna, we're going to be doing poetry in motion. So we have poetry, sound bowls, you know, comedy, music, all of that. And the tickets are just $10. They are on my link tree as well. So I want to thank you guys for joining us for this conflict resolution podcast. Yes, yes, yes. And I hope you got some great tips, some great inspiration, and you go out and you make better choices in your yes, relationships, you know, yes. and get along better, build stronger yes. do families. Do, do the work. work. That's do a good thing. Do the okay, work. Got to put the work in. Yes. And thank you guys for joining us. May you walk in Zenergy. Have a great night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Zenashe, a newly divorced 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result? A provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one. In Plenty of Guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern-day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest and boomeranging children.